Welcome to the record of our forebears podcast. I'm your host, Roland Godet III. And as always, I'm with my wonderful wife, Summer. Hello, hello, hello. And on the record of our forebears podcast, we discuss the stories of some of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So grab a pen, some paper, and get ready to learn something new. This episode, we're going to be discussing two giants. Giants. Yes, yes. We're going to be discussing Daniel Alexander Payne, who's a bishop of the AME Church, mm-hmm. and the great journalist. Yes, Ida B. Wells Barnett. Right. So I'm going to start off with a, uh, and read some scripture. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 17. I'm going to read it, and then once we go through some of this about Daniel Alexander Payne, you'll understand why I, why I read what mm, I read. Okay. All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance, fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the, other, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. All right. So, Daniel Alexander Payne was born on February 24th, 1811. Hmm. Uh, he was actually born free in the South, in, in Charleston, South Carolina. Wow. Yeah. So his father, uh, he had, his father had five brothers. They all fought in the Revolutionary War. And he was raised in the Methodist Church. Um, and as a young man, he, he wrote that his father prayed for him. Like even before he was born, his father prayed that his son would be used mm. uh, to, to serve the church. And that was one of the things that he saw as a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, his father died when he was four, but one of the memories that he has of all the memories he has of his father is him praying for him. Wow! Like working hard and praying for him. Um, actually, before his tenth birthday, he had lost both his parents. His mother died when he was about nine years old. Mm. So he ended up living with one of his great aunts, um, and she helped to continue to raise him in the church and continue to you know pr- uh, give education to him, teaching him how to read. But there was also a organization in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, called the Minor Moralist Society, which was established to educate orphan children of color and provide provide for their necessities. Mm. So that that organization also helped to continue to educate him and provide for the things that his great aunt uh, couldn't provide for him. Um, As a young man, Payne, he studied Greek, Roman and English history. And he also learned to read Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Wow. Like he, was a, he was a really smart dude. Mm-hmm. And education was like super important to him. Um, he recalls in his, um, in his autobiography that at the, at the age of 18, he was called by God to educate his people. Mm-hmm. And so this is what he wrote. He wrote that while he was praying, he heard God's voice say, 
I have set thee apart to educate thyself in order that thou may be an educator of thy people. And so he took that. That's kind of that kind of was his life ambition Mm -hmm. to make sure that he was educated so that he could educate. He could just pass that knowledge on to people. So after he heard that call, he actually opened a school in Charleston at 19 years old. He got the call at 18, 19 years old. He opened the school. Wow. And it was there to educate the black people in Charleston, not just free blacks, slaves, too. Mm. Like some some enslavers allowed their slaves to go to his school. Um, and the school actually flourished um, after a time. Wow. And he because the school began to flourish so much, they actually had to move into a new building. Um, they started getting more and more uh, slave and free blacks coming to the school to learn so much so that he actually started to master other subjects because he needed to know more so that he could teach more. Mm. So he started to master French, geography, botany and philosophy so he could add that to the curriculum. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. And you just think about like. We go to school to learn that stuff. He just was like, you know what? I need to learn it. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't go to a school to learn it. He just said, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to master it mm-hmm. so I can teach it. That's just crazy. That's amazing. So um, the school flourished for a time, as I said. However, it's always a however. Of course. <laughs> on, uh, on April 1st, mm-hmm. 1835, in response to Nat Turner's rebellion, South Carolina, the South Carolina legislature passed an act that prohibited any person from teaching or causing any slave to read or write. Wow. With a punishment of money and lashes. Mm. And it was almost as if the, the legislature was speaking directly to pain because they said, if you have a school, it was a more severe punishment. And so he had to close the school. Wow. Because out of fear of, you know, punishment and not just for himself, but for the, his students. Mm-hmm. You know, his students mm-hmm. will be punished. He will be punished. You know, so he was kind of devastated by that. And he actually um, in his in his uh, in his writings, he prayed and he he kind of doubted God a little bit. He was mm-hmm. like, like, is there like is there no justice? Mm-hmm. Is there no like is there no God? Like he doubted him for a while. He was mm-hmm. devastated. But um, he eventually moved north and he actually was encouraged to go to a theological seminary. And so he went to a theological seminary in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and eventually, after being there for a while, he was ordained, and he joined the AME Church. And AME, okay. if you remember, was the African Methodist Episcopal Church mm-hmm. started by Bishop Richard Allen. Yes. And so he joined the AME Church in 1841. His passion for education led him to work tireless, tirelessly to improve the educational quality of the black pastors in the AME Church. Mm. Um, so much so that he became known as the Apostle of Education to the Negro. Wow. And another nickname mm-hmm. they have for him was the Apostle to Educators in the AME Church. Mm. Like, that's how, like, that's how much education um, just was, was important to him. Mm-hmm. So they said that he essentially, he, he essentially, essentially he single-handedly changed the educational culture in the AME Church. Um. So one of uh, another great, um, another great pastor from that era, Francis Grimke. This is what Francis Grimke said about Rich. Uh, sorry, not Richard Allen. About Daniel Alexander Payne and his educational exploits in the AME Church. He said, "Up to this time, 
any ignoramus who imagined that he was called to preach, who thought that the Lord had need of him, felt that it was, felt that it was his right to be ordained or at least be licensed, and was under the impression that if he opened his mouth, the Lord would fill it, could come and preach. <laughs> And he said, following the efforts of pain, the church was now firmly committed to the policy of intelligence against the ignorance in the pulpit. Its aim henceforth would, not, would be not only to see that the gospel was preached, but that it was done by men who had at least some intellectual preparation for it. Mm. And so Francis Grimke didn't really mince words there, but mm -hmm. essentially what he was saying was he wanted... Daniel Payne wanted people to be prepared to preach the gospel, not just stand up and without any knowledge of how to preach. Mm -hmm. Similarly to, we know in the book of Acts, um, you know, Aquila and Priscilla had to train Apollos further so that he could preach the gospel, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in a more excellent way. And so similar situations, what Daniel Alexander Payne wanted to do. Um, He ended up being appointed the, hist the hist hist histographer, I think is what they called it. Mm. Essentially like a historian. Okay, yes. That's a historian of the AME Church in 1848. Um, and soon after that, he traveled the country and began to gather information about the history of the AME Church. So a lot of what we know about the AME Church was, was compiled by Daniel Alexander Payne. Um, and... He took that original call. He never forgot that original call, though, that he got at 18 years old to educate his people. Mm -hmm. And when he became a bishop in the AME church, he focused his teaching effort not just on the pastorate, but began to focus it on the lay people, too. And so he helped to organize some mother's associations that aided women in the training of their daughters. And then in 1856, one of the biggest things that he did was he led the AME Church in securing and dedicating Wilberforce University to the grand work of Christian education. And he served 13 years as the school's first president. Wow. Yeah. And Wilberforce is still around today. Mm -hmm. We have family members who yep. have attended that, Absolutely. that school as well. Mm -hmm. And Wilberforce University was the first institution of higher education that was owned and operated by black folks. Mm. Um, after stepping down as a president of Wilberforce, he continued to write. Um, he, printed, he, uh, he penned a treatise on education and his autobiography and obviously his history on the AME Church. Mm -hmm. um, on the 2nd of November, 1893, at the age of 82 years old, Daniel Alexander Payne passed away. Wow. Yeah. So in, in his life, in his 82 years, mm. he... Did a lot. Yes. And that education piece, I think, is, man, so important. Like, he didn't, he, he, like, the value that he put on education for Christians. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not just, you know, you know, a lot of times people will say about Christians, like, they'll try to say that we are anti-intellectual. Mm -hmm. Well, Daniel Alexander Payne kind of proves, like, no, we're not anti-intellectual. Mm -hmm. Christians are not, it's not an anti-intellectual faith. Mm-hmm. Like education is important to us too, and it always has been. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's recent. It always has been, and a lot of times, um, unfortunately, people look at the black church specifically as anti-intellectual. Yes, yeah. And the black church, the 
the first one, you know, the first one, the AME church was not, and they're still not mm -hmm. today. And man, just Daniel Alexander Payne's story, like as I was researching that, I was just like, this dude, like he took it, like he didn't, he took what God called him to do and mm -hmm. was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. Like, mm -hmm. God, you want me to be an educator? Bet I'm going to be an educator. <laughs> and I was thinking about like times God has called me to do stuff and I kind of just put it off. Oh, yeah. He immediately was like, I'm going to be an educator, but I'm going to open a school then. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do educators do? They teach, they need a school. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that that was just so dope. Like, wow. that he, man, just mm -hmm. took that to, you know, took the call that he got from God and immediately acted on it. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. And then his purpose, I mean, was still the same. Even mm -hmm. though the location change due, you know, to those um, just like that institutionalized racism and discrimination, he still was able to take that, um, you know, to the church, yeah. to the congregants there and then to train yeah. um, and educate in that way as well. So, wow, yeah. what a powerful just story. Um, testimony that, again, is a part of both. Um, American history mm -hmm. and Christian history. Yeah. So, so important. Yeah. Daniel Alexander Payne, man. Get familiar. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, what you got? I would like to um, share some information um, about someone who many of us, we should know, um, and that's Ida B. Wells Barnett. So we may know her by Ida B. Wells, um, but she did marry, um, and so she did go by Wells Barnett. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to share a quote uh, that she actually shared um, when she was among the living. She said, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. Mm. Now, Ida B. Wells Barnett uh, was born to enslaved parents, James and Lizzie Wells, in Holly Springs, Mississippi, on July 16th, 1862. Um, she was born just six months prior to the Emancipation Proclamation wow. um, amid the height of the American Civil War. Now, um, after emancipation, her father became a trustee of Shaw College, which is now known as um, Russ College. Okay. So here we go again um, with those institutions that are still here, that mm -hmm. are still educating. Yeah. Um, and he was well known in the Holly Springs um, area for his heavy involvement in politics and civil rights activism. So all of the way back then. Oh, wow. Um, again, we're talking about giants, even looking at Ida B. Wells, she still stood on her father's yeah. shoulders, right? Yep. Um, as well. And he founded a successful carpentry business in Holly Springs in 1867. And his wife, Lizzie, became known locally as a famous cook. Now, in September of 1878, tragedy struck uh, the Wells family when both of Ida's parents um, and one of her siblings died during a yellow fever epidemic. Mm -hmm. And so as you were talking about, um, you know, uh, Mr. Payne, I kind of saw those similarities yeah. too, where they both lost, they lost their, parent, yeah, their yeah. parents at a young age. Wow. Um, and so you wonder what was the drive or who was the drive. And mm -hmm. I feel like I like to say the drive was um, divine was, you know, that God given drive there to continue to, be the father, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the holy father for these um, individuals. Yeah. 
Um, and so um, she had been visiting her grandmother's farm near Holly Springs at the time when yellow fever struck. We know how yellow fever, um, that that epidemic, yeah. how that changed the landscape of our country. Oh, yeah. Um, we talked about it before, yep, right? Yep. Um, and so uh, she, uh, some of the friends and relatives, they decided that um, the five remaining Wells children would be separated and sent to foster homes. Mm. And so Ida, she like opposed that. And um, in order to keep her younger siblings together, she found work as a teacher wow. in a rural black elementary school outside of Holly Springs. Wow. And um, her grandmother, Peggy Wells, she stayed with her siblings and cared for them um, during the week while um, Ida went out and essentially became the parent um, and taught. Wow. So in 1883, about two years after her grandmother died, mm. now you lose this, um, you know, this family member who was helping you raise mm -hmm. all of these kids. Um, they had to move. Wow. So she moved to Memphis uh, to live with a, with an aunt. Um, and um, after arriving in Memphis, she secured a job again as a teacher. So okay. she continued teaching and uh, began attending class at the historical. Again, here we go. Another mm -hmm. powerful HBCU, Fisk University Fisk, yeah. in Nashville. Wonderful Nashville um, during the summers. Okay. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So like her father, she had a strong um, background in uh, politics and political uh, opinions, uh, which that stood out for me because it's a woman. And mm -hmm. not only that, she's a black woman. Yep. And she voiced her political opinions <laughs> during that time. Um, and they were really about race relations, which even today, people do not want to touch this topic at yeah. all. Yeah, it's hard. Um, what do they say? Uh, what do they say? Race and politics. Like not dinner table, not dinner time. No, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. Um, and she had, again, that a boldness and audacity to do it. Um, and so uh, she talked about race re uh, relations and women's rights. And we know that there were women, both black and white, um, who were vocal um, and talking about women's rights specifically, um, like voting rights mm -hmm. at that time. Um, so at the age of, here we go again, 24. These people are young and yeah. bold, like 24. Um, she wrote this quote. I will not begin at this day by doing what my soul abhors, sugaring men, weak, <laughs> deceitful creatures with flattery to retain them as escorts or to gratify a revenge. Mm. Um, just really heavy and deep words right there. And also it's kind of funny too. like, uh, again, the audacity, like, mm. who do you think you are, woman? You a lot of people probably <laughs> were bristled at her. A little oh, bit. they probably. Yeah, yeah probably. I can imagine. Now, on May 4th, 1884, um, a train conductor um, with the Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad, you know, this is how many people traveled yep. um, back then. Um, they ordered Ida B. Wells, uh, Barnett, well, Ida B. Wells at the time, to give up her seat in the first class ladies car and move to the smoking car, um, which was already crowded with other passengers. Um, for some for some background here, in the previous year, in 1883, the United States uh, Supreme Court ruled against the Civil Rights Act of 1875. Mm. There was a Civil Rights Act in 1875, yep. Yep. Um, which banned racial discrimination in public spaces. Now, this decision allowed railroad car railroad companies to choose to racially racially segregate their passengers. Wow. I mean, Wales refused to give up her seat. 
So the conductor and two men, they dragged her out of the car. They're like, okay, that's fine. We'll drag you out. Um, This reminded me of um, the newer movie, Teal, Mm -hmm. um, and how when Emmett as soon as they cross that, you know, that line, line yeah. the South line, the Mason Dixon line, whatever you want to call yeah. it, all of those black passengers, black American passengers who were up front had to move to the back. And this was just yesterday. Right. Mm. We're thinking about this yep. is not that far in the past. That's, um, that, that sounds like Rosa Parks, too. Like, oh, it does sound like Rosa like Parks. A, like pre Rosa Parks. Like, yeah, she was like, like I'm, I'm not giving, giving my up. seat up. No, I'm not giving it up again. And it's crazy that they dragged her off. They dragged her off. Wow. Um, and, um, she gained, you know, a lot of publicity in Memphis, um, still moving on, still continuing to, um, you know, speak against uh, racism. And she wrote uh, for a newspaper. Um, she wrote an article for The Living Way. And this was, if you hear that Living Way, this mm-hmm. was the Church Weekly, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a black Church Weekly uh, newspaper. And she wrote about her treatment on the train, oh, which, okay. yeah, uh, let me let you all know what happened. Um, and so uh, she eventually hired a lawyer. Here we go again. I'm thinking about Sojourner Truth. Mm-hmm. This black woman hired a lawyer and sued the train company. Wow. And she won. <laughs> and wow. she won. Um, and uh, she won like $500, which I don't know what the... You I mean, know. It seems like a lot of money. It seems like it's, a, I mean, it's a lot of money still to me. Here we go again. A lot of money right now. <laughs> but it seems like it was probably a pretty good sell- set- mm-hmm. settlement, you know. Um, and so she won in the lower court. However... The Tennessee Supreme Court reversed the decision um, and it led her to she said, OK, I'll write some more. Um, and she uh, she wrote on it. And um, and here's another quote that she uh, said. She said, I felt so disappointed because I had hoped such great things from my suit her lawsuit mm-hmm. for my people. And here we go again, thinking about that cry and that I'm thinking about just, you know, oh, God. Mm hmm. Is there no justice in this land for us? Mm-hmm. So again, thinking about um, you know, pain there, how just I don't know, limitations are just yeah. you just kinda like, you know, they're yeah. human. And so we can only see what's happening right now in this moment for us. Mm-hmm. And we know that God is infinite. He can see beyond it. But in our in our situation, yeah. it's like, you know, when will we get relief? Right. Um, and I think that's universal for all people. Mm-hmm. Now, um, while she continued to teach, she began to write under a pseudonym, right? And several black newspapers oh, yeah. um, attacking racist Jim Crow laws. And um, I can I can believe that she would have done that to protect herself, you know, protect her family, her family, um, you know, the safety. And um, even today, a lot of writers still yeah, will write, yeah, you know, yeah. with under another name. Um, and so in 1889, uh, she became the co-owner, just big things, co-owner and editor of a black owned newspaper based out of um, the historic Bill Street Baptist Church. Um, that church was called the free um, that newspaper was called the free speech and headlight. And mm, OK, if you hear Bill Street, we know that's a very famous and important um, area in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so many things written on that area. Now, she was eventually fired. From her teaching job. Oh, yeah, they found out. <laughs> because they found out no matter, you know, what other name that she went under. Um, but really because she wrote, like, you know, these articles about the conditions of black schools in Memphis. Mm. It's made me think about, you know, 
the conditions of black schools and many public schools yeah. in America, even um, until today. Right. Yeah. So while she was distraught at first, um, this really did allow her to, to kind of shift and focus her efforts on writing and, okay. and in journalism. Yeah. And that's crazy because now she's known as a journalist. Yes. That's like, how I, you know, mm-hmm. learned or met her. That's how I learned about her mm-hmm. was, okay, she was this journalist um, in the black press, mm-hmm. you know, when we had the black press. It's like, so her losing that job just kind of mm-hmm. catapulted her catapulted further her into, here we go again, her purpose, right? right. So in 1892, a good friend of Will's, Thomas Moss, Mm -hmm. was arrested with two other men, um, William Stewart and Calvin McDowell. Now, after they got into several skirmishes with um, some white men in in Memphis, um, Moss, he had owned a grocery store and competed with a white owned grocery store just across the street. Um, and because Moss was doing so well, mm. um, the owner of the white owned store, um, William Barrett, was furious. So around 2.30 a.m. on the morning of March 9th, 1892, 75 men, including William Russell, wearing black mask, took Moss and the two other men um, from their jail cells um, at the rail yard just outside the city and shot them dead. Wow. Uh, so they were obviously arrested because of the skirmishes, mm-hmm. the fisticuffs, I'm sure. And um, this is something that was commonplace. Yeah. Um, I think they called it like kangaroo court. Is that kind of like what uh, that is? Or when they come and Essentially, the well, people become a, the judge, jury, and executioner. Well, yeah, they, it just it was just lynch mobs. Like just they, lynch mobs. Yeah. Okay, that's and what like it the is. The sheriff is supposed to, even though you know the sheriff may agree with the lynch mob, the sheriff mm-hmm. is still supposed to protect them while yes. they're in jail. But it a lot of times, the law, right? Yeah, the sheriff would just give them to these mobs of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the sheriff would be in the mob. You know? uh, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Well, and so um, yeah, so they took those men out um, and. Just outside of the city, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but in in any case, they killed them. They shot them dead. Um, and of course, Ida B. Wells, Thomas Moss was one of her friends, yeah. so you know she's going to be vocal. Yeah, and, I think that she um, was actually the godparent for one of his children. Oh like, they wow! Were really close. Yeah. yeah. So just understanding that they were, she knew these people. Mm. She's going to speak, and so she urged uh, blacks to leave Memphis. Mm. Um, all together um, after the lynching, you know, of her friends. And uh, she wrote in the free speech in the headlight newspaper um, that, you know, I just felt like it was a cry that we hear often and that we continue to hear from um, black Americans. She said, there is therefore only one thing left to do, save our money and leave a town which will neither protect our lives and property, nor give us a fair trial in the courts, but takes us out and murders murders us in cold blood when accused by white persons. Mm. Um, now, essentially, like you said, this was a lynching, and the, lyn- the lynching of Moss, Stewart, and McDowell, it caused Wells to begin investigating lynchings. Mm. So she became an investigative um, journalist and reporter, wow. um, and she found that many of the lynchings were the result of um, white women accusing black men of rape. Wow. So um, on May 21st, 1892, she published an editorial in the free speech refuting what she called the quote, um, that old threadbare lie that Negro men rape white women. 
If Southern men are not careful, a conclusion might be reached, which they which will be very damaging to the moral reputation of their women. End quote. Ooh, that's heavy. That's that's a lot. Yeah. Um, but she didn't really, you know, she didn't hold what she had in and she didn't, you know, she said what she had to say. Mm-hmm. However, less than a week after that editorial, another white mob. They ransacked the free speech, um, that newspaper office. They destroyed the building and its contents. And um, James Fleming, who was one of the co-owners mm. with uh, Ida B. Wells, uh, he was forced to flee Memphis. Oh, man. Now, Wells had been out of town again. Just she's always being placed, you know, out of mm-hmm. that harm and danger. It seems like since she was a child, yeah. she was out of town um, and. It was reportedly that the trains were being watched for her um, if she returned to Memphis because they were going to kill her. Um, So she never returned to Memphis. She never went back home. That's just mind boggling to me. Like you just you can't go back. But we know many of our uh, family members were placed in those situations Mm -hmm. where um, you're black. You can't go back. You have to move further north. and that meant leaving everything. Um, so the creditors, they took position, uh, possession of the office. They sold the assets of her paper. Like she just completely lost her business. And then a quote unquote committee of white businessmen located um, uh, the third owner of the free speech. Now, he was also a Christian um, mm-hmm. Reverend Taylor Nightingale. Okay. They found him. They assaulted him. They beat him up. Um, and then they forced him at gunpoint to sign a letter retracting of course. her editorial. Like, it just, what? Like, we're going to, we need you to retract it. Because right. they know that it's, um, they knew that scandalous. it's scandalous. Yeah. And we need you to say that it's not true. And and so um, he was able to do that. And what I thought was, well, he was able, he was forced to do yeah. that. What I thought was really um, crazy to me was that they, there's no copy of the free speech and the headlight today. So normally we can go to a library, we mm. can see, you know, copies of, you know, we can go do a search online um, yeah. and see um, old newspapers and magazines, but they they decimated everything yeah. um, from them. Now, there is knowledge, we have the knowledge of the newspaper today um, from reprinted articles and other like archive newspapers. newspapers. But there's no copy of the actual free free, uh, free speech in hell. Like, no, wow. not not at all. That is, um, that's insane. Yes. Um, so in 1892, Wells published her first volume of research on lynching. It was titled Southern Horrors, Lynch Laws in All Its Phases. Mm-hmm. So in 1895, she published The Red Record, yeah. which you know about. Yeah, that's a more well-known one, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, And that's a more detailed account of the lynchings that occurred since the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. Now, although many white Northerners discovered the horrors of lynchings through Wells' work, um, she was never able to gain like significant support Hmm. um, from Northern whites to be able to combat lynching um, through like the legislative channels. Okay. Um, So she went on on a speaking tour across the country. And um, she even went to um, England, to the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. um, to spread the word about the horrors of lynching. Wow. Um, so, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, it's crazy, too, because I know one of the things that uh, that Ida Wells said, because she couldn't get that legislative support, it's a quote that I, I just I always remember. Mm-hmm. It. It's like, like seared in my brain. She said, uh, a Winchester rifle should have a place of honor. 
in every black home because she was she was so discouraged that mm-hmm. legislation wouldn't help. And so she was just like, we got to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's a heavy topic, too. You know, yes. gun ownership and all that kind of stuff. But of I course. mean, you can imagine, you know, you got to do what you got to do to protect mm-hmm. your family. Mm-hmm. So definitely. Um, yeah. So on June 27th, 1895 in Chicago at Bethel AME Church, here we go again with the AME Mm -hmm. Church, Wells married attorney Ferdinand L. Barnett. So this is where we get the hyphenated name. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a prominent attorney, a civil rights activist Mm -hmm. and a journalist. Right. We see those similarities that they have there um, for those things in common. Yes. Just a few (laughs) things, you know, for their like causes. And like Wells, he spoke widely against lynchings. Um, and for the civil rights of black Americans. Okay. So in 1897, Wells established Chicago's first kindergarten classes. Wow. And they were aimed at educating black children at the Bethel AME Church. Wow. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, another now, one, the, the education. Like, yeah. It's just what's so important mm-hmm. to be able to... Mm-hmm. To educate. And it still is, and it still should be, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, Now, she continues speaking out against racism, advocating for civil rights for black people, and advocating for women's voting voting rights as well. Mm -hmm. Now, on March 25th in 1931, Ida B. Wells Marnett, she succumbed to kidney disease at Mm -hmm. the age of 69. Wow. And, you know, we talked about this while our grandparents were alive when Ida B. Wells Barnett was alive. Like, I'm thinking about, like, you know. Yeah, like, it's not that long ago. No, it's not that long <laughs> ago, you all. So I know these sound like ancient ones, but this is not that long ago, right? Um, now, she spent her life exposing the violence that black people were experiencing and her faith kept her hopeful that injustice would be defeated and that justice would reign. Mm. Now, here's a name that we all should know. Mm -hmm. The great Frederick Douglass wrote to her and he said this brave woman, you have done your people and mine a service which can neither be weighed nor measured. If the American conscience were only half alive, if the American church and clergy were only half Christianized, if American moral sensibility were not hardened by persistence, Infliction of outrage and crime against colored people, a scream of horror, shame, indignation would rise to heaven wherever your pamphlet shall be read. You know, talking about her, her, um, her writing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just really want to say, like, this is really sad because it would take almost a century for the United States to finally pass federal anti-lynching legislation. It just happened this year. It just happened this year, you almost 100 years. And um, it's known as the the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022. Wow. Um, And of course, it's named after um, the 14 year old black boy from Chicago who was brutally murdered um, by a group of white men in Mississippi for allegedly whistling at a white woman in 1955. The happenings around the situation they they're they're different Mm -hmm. but this is what you know um i was able to find in the news and um his mother she sparked national outrage um and was a catalyst for um the the civil rights movement uh, when having that open casket um funeral for him so yeah ida b wells knew this is going to take a battle so arm up with, you know, your education, you know, with your faith, even sometimes with those other weapons, mm-hmm. because she didn't see 
that anti-lynching legislation happening and she wouldn't see it not for another 90 something years just mind-blowing um but we are still grateful for her women in america should be grateful for her um um and pretty much you know christians in america like just being bold um Mm -hmm. in her faith to continue to do this job the work that no one you know many people didn't want to do yeah to be to be unflinchingly against injustice, mm-hmm. like to the point of not, not putting a, not try, trying to hide it, mm-hmm. just exposing mm-hmm. it. Like she's like that quote that you said at the beginning, exposing it to the light of truth. Mm-hmm. Like that's how, I mean, that's how the Bible talks about dealing with individual sin. Mm-hmm. And as a society, our societal sins should be dealt with similarly, mm-hmm. expose it to the light of the truth. Mm-hmm. And Man, thankful for women like Ida Wells, man, because, I mean, Ida Wells is dope. Like, yeah. You know, Ida Wells is one of my favorite people. Oh, yeah. And you know, that's what, <laughs> and I know you were like, okay, well, I want you to read about her because I know, like, you know, with journalism and writing, I know mm-hmm. you really liked her. And, you know, the first thing I said was, oh, she wrote for the Chicago Defender. Yep. Like, I just remember um, being in undergrad and reading about the black press and I was like what is the black press but because of segregation because of discrimination mm-hmm. um, there were uh, bl- uh, black Americans like Ida B. Wells who said we have to create our own uh, you know even press because we can't get anything out there we can't let the whole country and world know what's going on here yep. so amazing just an amazing person a giant um a giant who many on shoulders who many of us like I said Christians um, women who we stand on yep. and some to the detriment unknowingly right mm-hmm. but now we we, um, we all should know if you're listening now yeah definitely yeah so as always all of our notes uh, where we get our information from will be in the um, in the description mm-hmm. but I mean seriously get familiar with Ida Wells and Daniel Alexander Payne. We want to thank you again for listening to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. We invite you to join us next time. We got some more people. It's going to be an interesting episode next time too. So just as always, thank you. Thank you.